Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone. Football season is finally back. The University of Alabama will be on the practice field tomorrow. And we're back with another BAMS Radio as we are going to uh, you know, preview fall camp and then talk some college football tonight. I'm your host, Judy Armin, along with my co-host and producer extraordinaire and the ma- and the man behind the curtain, the wizard, Thomas Watts. He's with us. And, and our third cohort, uh, the insider, former University of Alabama offensive lineman, 1992 national champion from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide. And that is, of course, William Redfish Barger is with us as well tonight. William, uh, happy fall camp. I know this is uh, one of those times that you really uh, enjoy uh, watching the Alabama football team, you know, get ready to go for yet another season, trying to defend a national championship. And uh, I know you went through many a fall camp of your own, but uh, this is the time for competition. These next two weeks are going to be really interesting. And I know you're looking forward to some of the position battles that we're going to talk about tonight, my friend. Oh, yeah, I am. I think it's, uh, you know, it's been a, a really good, you know, summer off-season program for, for Alabama. Um, Nick Saban uh, seems to be very excited and, and impressed with the effort that was put out by the team. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's, it's so strange. I guess, you know, my, my parents told me this when I was in high school and, uh, you know, they told me to enjoy my 20s, and, you know, once you get into your 30s, it starts going by quicker, and that even gets more accelerated once you get into your 40s. Hell, I'm in my late 40s now, and, uh, you know, it seems like yesterday that, um, you know, I was celebrating the national championship game, and it seems even closer that it was a day, and, you know, here we are, uh, you know, uh, shoot, probably less than 24 hours from, uh, you know, the start of fall camp. It's It's flown by it certainly has william and uh it's a it's a you know in of course in a way though with the, the classic college football game we saw for the national title it does seem like it's been a while since we've seen alabama uh on uh, the uh the uh you know uh the the, the uh on the field competing and uh it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of you know what you know well you know uh, uh, some of these battles like i that we're going to talk about later i think there's you know at least four or five storylines you can follow closely along with the crimson tide uh, that, that we're going to be fascinated to kind of watch as it as uh, this team takes shape uh, I, and i guess you would say the only drawback of the offseason we did see a couple of graduate transfers that weren't surprising Dallas Warmack uh, and Brandon Kennedy along that offensive line uh, but uh, we did see uh, one injury uh, and, and of course that was Terrell Lewis I, though I do think if Alabama can avoid further uh, losses uh, they can manage it but still when you lose a guy that has first round talent still uh, you know, not exactly uh, a, a great situation for the Crimson Tide, especially when uh, I think the one storyline that hasn't really been talked about, because we know what the number one one's going to be, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, the quarterback position. But I think that one thing that hasn't been played up enough is that when you lose uh, what, as many guys on their coaching staff as they have, and, you, and you're now basically, uh, you know, uh, starting over defensively, because for, for, for throughout Nick Saban's tenure, you've had Kirby Smart and then you had Jeremy Pruitt, who were both very well versed in their in the defense. Now, Jeremy Pruitt brought some different things to the table, was a little bit more aggressive, but the system was still much the same. Now you have a brand new defensive coordinator in Tosh Lupoy, who's never called signals. You've got Pete Golding, Carl Scott. It's interesting that this defensive staff is completely new. Yeah, it is, and I, and I think, you know, that's, something that, you know, by design, I think Nick Saban, um, you know, orchestrated. And, you know, it's, on one hand, I'll agree with you that, um, you know, Tosh, you know, being a, you know, a first-time signal caller, but, you know, he, he's basically been down there for five years. 
um, you know, spent last year shadowing Jeremy Pruitt and kind of learning the, you know, the, the, the interest, uh, the, the, you know, behind the scenes stuff that you need to, you know, be as a defensive coordinator. I certainly feel like he's ready for the challenge, um, you know, between Nick Saban and Carl Scott and Pete Golding, I think they're probably going to, you know, handle the calls on the back end of the defense. Um, you know, Tosh is a front seven guy. And, uh, you know, I think now has a, uh, really, really good, which some people consider the best defensive line coach in college football, um, to kind of compliment him up there with those front seven guys, um, you know, teaching people pass rush techniques and, um, you know, talking about um, C- Coach Cool, uh, who some think is the best defensive line coach in college football. Um, you know, I-, I think, you know, there's there's certainly some things you can point at, Um you know, to me, I think the, the top storylines are, um, you know, who's going to be the, the top two backups behind Dylan Moses and Mac Wilson on defense? You know, are, are the two starting corners versus Louisville going to be Trevon Diggs and Savion Smith? Or do one of these newcomers pop up in there? Um, you know, on the other side of the, the ball, I think, uh, you know, really the only – we can talk about the quarterback situation in a minute, but really, you know, the only battle that I see um, outside of the quarterback position on the other side of the football is, uh, you know, whether or not Alex Leatherwood can recover from a pretty ugly spring and challenge the incumbent starter, Matt Womack, at right tackle. Um, So, you know, really, I think a lot of the – there's more question marks in my mind uh, on the defensive side of the football um, you know, versus the offensive side. And do you, and another couple of things that I'm intrigued with, I think there could be a battle at left guard depending on, you know, how Lester Cotton performs. He certainly has the talent. Uh, no one's ever doubted it. He, I remember I, you thought he was as good as any offensive lineman in the country when he came out of Central Tuscaloosa High School. Uh, but Josh Casher certainly pushed him in the spring. Uh, you know, I think that could be a battle. Uh, coming into fall camp. And then, of course, place kicker. You've got Austin Jones uh, and Joseph Bulavas. Bulavas had a pretty solid spring, but Austin Jones comes in as a guy that saw a lot of time at Temple. Uh, but th- do you think left guard could be a battle, or is Lester going to be a guy that we've seen it uh, when you become a senior, sometimes things finally slow down for you, and he certainly has the power. But we've always wondered about the mental errors and then just the consistency overall. Do you, do you see a battle there, or is Lester going to be someone uh, that, uh, you know, holds on to his position, then maybe Josh Castor turns into that swing guy that backs up both guard spots and center. Yeah, I mean, I think there towards the end of spring practice, the you know, the light kind of came on for Lester. You know, he, uh, you know, kind of had a, an unforeseen uh, series of events that happened to him on, uh, you know, on a, on a personal level last year. He uh, became a father and, uh you know, I think, you know, struggled with the, uh, you know, all the different responsibilities that goes with being a, you know, a, a student first and a football player and then a father. And, uh, you know, I think that was probably something that he, he got a little bit overwhelmed with. There was some, you know, some attitude issues there. But, yeah, I mean, the guy's got all the talent in the world. He's, he's a guy that's, you know, very powerful at the point of attack. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there. You know, the good problem is, is, you know, if he does, you know, not, not be able to answer the call, you know, you do have a proven guy in Josh Casher that can come in there. Um, but, but I think he'll probably hold on to that job. Um, you know, we, we got to still kind of, I think, monitor, uh, Ross Pierce Baker through fall camp and see if he, you know, struggles with the yips that he developed, you know, a week before he was supposed to be the starting center in 2016 for the USC game and, you know, developed, uh, you know, a bad problem with his long snaps. But, um, yeah, you know, what, the funniest part, I guess, about the, the reports from spring practice, you know, that amused me a little bit is, you know, everybody just had Alex Leatherwood. You know, no, nobody, you know, thought that he was going to unseat Jonah Williams at left tackle, despite coming in, you know, playing pretty well at left tackle versus Georgia in the national championship game. But, you know, once he slid over there to right tackle in the spring, um, you know, Nick Saban has a policy and so do most other good football coaches 
you know, you don't lose your starting job uh, due to an injury, you know, like Matt Womack had, uh, especially when you play at such a high level um, that he did as a first-time starter in the SEC in 2017. And, you know, if you really track, um, you know, how the, the offensive linemen were graded, um, you know, I think he only gave up two sacks um, in 2017 and didn't give, give up, didn't give up a single sack, you know, versus Auburn, Clemson, and Georgia, um, which were probably three of the top, you know, four or five defensive lines that he faced last year. So, um, you know, he, he came out of the 2017 season uh, being graded the third best offensive lineman behind Jonah and Bradley Bozeman. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, can, can Alex Leatherwood regain his confidence after a rough spring via uh, Terrell Lewis and Chris Allen and challenge Matt Warmack for that right tackle job? But, um, you know, I, I've read all these preseason reports, and, uh, you know, it's almost like some of these sports writers try and invent drama and um, – you know, problems to, to say why Alabama's not going to be the top dog this year. And, you know, in my mind, you know, the, the, the coaching staff changes um, to me are, are a consistent thing over the uh, the tenure of Nick Saban at Alabama since 2007. I mean, he's almost averaged, you know, losing three or four guys every year. So I don't expect that to be an issue at all, um, I, at least on the uh, the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I think that, you know, between Mike Loxley and Dan Enos, man, they've got so many shiny toys to work with, um, especially at the skill positions on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it, it's going to be a really, really, you know, uh, the, the truth be told, um, despite the coaching turnover, despite a, you know, a first-round talent loss in Terrell Lewis, this could easily be Nick Saban's most talented team of his 11-year tenure. Yeah, certainly a lot of talent on the field, William. You're right about that. Uh, and uh, we, and as you said, there is going to be competition uh, at several different spots. We've been talking a little bit about that offensive line uh, and how it's going to perform. Do you, we didn't see a whole lot of movement as far as experimentation at different spots in the spring. Uh, you know, and of course, Tua Tungvaluwa was hurt much of that. Uh, there's been speculation uh, if he were the full-time starter uh, that uh, you know he could. They, they might they flip flop the tackles and put Jonah Williams at right tackle, put Leatherwood at left. Uh, you know, and what would that? How the, how would that affect Matt Womack? Would he become the swing tackle? Uh, you know, I I've gone back and forth on it. You know, I I thought you know at first that you know we would see Matt Womack at right tackle, and I think he's a good football player. But then I also uh, have thought you know he could end up sliding inside to guard and getting a look if they decide to flip. Uh, and still continue to be the swing tackle. But do you think they're going to flip the, the tackles at all if, if Tua starts taking control of this job, or is it just going to be a, a case in your mind, and you've played the position where they're going to go with the five best guys and just kind of let it fall where they may? And despite the fact Jonah Williams, I, I kind of felt like was more consistent at right tackle than left, uh, and, and with Tua's blind side being the right side, do you think they'll still leave him on the left ultimately in your mind? No, I mean, they're not going to do that. I mean, you know, and I understand the premise of your point, but, you know, let's just say that, you know, against Louisville, you know, when two is playing, whether he's the starter or not, um, you know, he re-breaks his thumb. Then all of a sudden you have to flip-flop everything back the other way. Now, in my mind, going into spring practice on the offensive – I mean, excuse me, fall camp at the offensive line position, it's going to be Jonah Williams at left tackle, Lester Cotton at left guard, Pierce Baker at center, Jedrick Wills at right guard, and, and Matt Womack um, at right tackle with an asterisk there. You know, maybe Leatherwood gets his confidence back and, you know, and pushes Matt Womack. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of having, you know, either guy, you know, Leatherwood six six, I think Womack six seven. You don't want offensive guards that's that tall. Uh, you know, there's a reason they have that length and that wingspan to, uh, you know, um, spread the pocket out a little bit with pass rushers. Um, you know, if there was an injury to whoever the quarterback is, you'd have to flip flop, and that that would, you know, create some uh, some confusion and, and have to reorganize stuff. Um, you know, I mean, right now. Um, 
just basically in every preseason poll, and I mean, I certainly agree with this. Um, you know, Jonah Williams didn't struggle at all at left tackle last year until he injured his ankle, um, which was done, I think, in the LSU game, and he was able to struggle through it, um, you know, up until the second half of the, the national championship game. Um, everybody has him rated um, as a top 10 draft pick. You know, some people say Greg Little might go before him or whatever, but I think both guys are top 10 picks. Um, we'll have to wait and see if Jonah Williams decides to come out early. Um, you know, the, the, the talk is he wants to come back and, um, you know, get his master's degree and not come out early, so we'll see how that plays out. But, no, I don't, I don't see um, personnel decisions uh, being predicated on whether you've got a right-handed or a left-handed quarterback. Very uh, interesting thoughts from William Barger as we will uh, continue to preview fall camp. Uh, also, and uh, I guess uh, we it's a miracle we've only uh, touched on it periodically, uh, you know, as we've started to talk uh, Alabama's fall camp 2018, but we will circle back to the QBs. It's well documented. I mean, uh, it's now finally going to uh, start uh, in earnest. But, uh, you know, I've had my own thoughts. I thought, you know, that Tua was the favorite. I still believe that, and... I've been of the mindset that I thought Jalen Hurts would transfer before the season. Certainly the one thing that came out of SEC media days uh, shortly thereafter was Nick Saban talking to, you know, ESPN and Chris Lowe and those guys and saying that uh, going through the car wash and that Jalen Hurts had come to him and said he was going to stay, that he wanted to graduate. Uh, So now, I mean, it does at least look uh, like uh, he's uh, going to be here, uh, you know, for the 2018 season to compete. Uh, with uh, Tua Tungavailoa, and now they have the new redshirt rule, as you know, the four games. William, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts. I mean, I know you believe Tua now is the favorite for this job, but I guess uh, the best way to equate it is, uh, you know, what do you see with uh, Jalen Hurst's role being? Is he going to be that that guy? Will he play in the four games, but then still, you know, preserve his two years of eligibility to transfer uh, to another institution, should he not beat out Tua and and be a QB at, at another place, or do you see him perhaps? Uh, and this is far fetched for me, regardless of if he transferred now or or did you know, stick around for 2018. I just can't put my head around him burning a year and only having one year of eligibility left if he's not the starter at the University of Alabama. What is your thoughts on on Jalen's future and how you how you foresee it in your mind, them, he and his father handling the situation? Well, first of all, he won't have one year left. He's got a red shirt to burn. Well, yeah, that, yeah uh, and that's what two, I was talking I've, about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, I've always felt like the smart uh, business decision, um, if, in fact, he wants to stay at the quarterback position, is to, you know, come into fall camp, compete. Um, because I also know how much Nick Saban values Jalen Hurts as a, as a player and a competitor on the team and a leader. Um, but, you know, the smart business decision is however the quarterback position plays out is it, for Jalen to ride this season out, whether he's the starter or the backup or uh, move to another position, um, is to ride this season out, get his bachelor's degree in December, and then he's, you know, all of a sudden, you know, in the same sense that, that Jay Coker was um, when he left Florida State. Um, you know, he's sitting there actually with a more advantageous position than Jay Coker. Um, you know, he, he's, you know, got another year left and, and possibly even two with a red shirt to burn. Um, you know, I think the injury to Tua in the spring has really changed the dynamic in this whole quarterback race. Um you know, number one, number two, um, I think it's going to take a second half performance versus Georgia and both scrimmages, um, for, for two to wrestle the outright starting position, um, away from Jalen Hurts and Nick Saban, um, in this quarterback race. And I think the, the way the schedule sets up, uh, you know, I've seen this before from Nick Saban. This is all predictable behavior. Um, regardless of who the starter is, whether it's Jalen Hurts or Tua versus Louisville, I think you're going to see both quarterbacks play um, at least up until uh, September 21st when Texas A&M comes to town because Nick Saban has afforded that luxury 
of really not having to name a permanent starter until that game. Um, and I think, you know, barring, you know, Tua just blowing the barn doors off, um, you know, in, in the two, you know, all of the scrimmages, I think that's the way it's going to play out. That's the way, you know, it played out between A.J. McCarron and Phillip Sims. Um, that only took two games, but, you know, they've got, I think, three prior to A&M coming to town um, before that really hardcore decision has to be made then factor in what happened with, you know, Coach Saban making that decision to go with Jalen over Blake Barnett and how that all worked out. Um, I just think that Nick Saban's got the, um, you know, kind of the leader in the clubhouse mentality that he can slow play this quarterback decision out. And I expect to see both quarterbacks. I'm not saying it's going to be a, you know, a Tim Tebow, Chris Leak, true quarterback, two-quarterback system. But I expect to see both guys play in the first three games. If we remember correctly, uh, I think A.J. McCarron's defining moment, William, kind of was that road game at Penn State uh, in 2011 uh, when he was able – he got to a slow start, but he was able to not turn the ball over and direct the football team, and they won impressively against the Nittany Lions. And he he basically ran with – uh, the torch from that point forward. And then we saw Philip Sims transfer at the end of the season. So uh, that, it's going to be uh, very interesting. And I'm in agreement with you. If, if uh, Jalen Hurts stays, you know, I, I still think there's a, a very small percentage now after what Nick Saban has gone on record with that he could leave before the season. But that would only entail something that you just said, which would be to uh, just absolutely coming out guns a-blazing uh, in, in practice and in the scrimmages and making it, uh, you know, an easier call than it may be. So we're going to have to see, and we have to see how healthy uh, Tua is. Certainly we're getting great reports, uh, but I do think that Tua is going to be impressive. I think he's going to win this job. But, uh, you know, you, have, you bring up a valid point that because of uh, the body of work of Jalen Hurts, uh, Nick Saban will more than likely uh, let both these guys play. And he's, got, he's afforded that luxury now because of that new four-year rule for the red shirt uh, to be able to still keep it intact. And and I know that you said uh, you made a great point about the injury to Tua kind of changing the dynamic. Do you think this rule change also helped uh, change the or make the decision easier, so to speak, for Jalen Hurts and his father for them to stay and compete at Alabama? Well, you know, what I think it does, Drew, is, you know, I think the dynamic could be even greater if Jalen hadn't have struggled as much as he did in spring practice. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, try and sugarcoat the situation. He, 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 you know, his regression continued um, through spring practice, um, you know, just based on the two times that I saw him live, I thought Mac Jones outplayed him. So that, that's why I say, you know, if, if Tua goes out there and blows the barn doors off, um, the decision could be easier, but even if he does that, and I've tried to tell multiple people this um, throughout the, the, you know, since the national championship game, and it's the same scenario, um, you know, with, with Alex Leatherwood versus Matt Womack. Um, there were some things that, that Tua did as, as great as they were in that second half. There was also some decision making and. Uh, you know, some plays that, you know, totally goes against the Nick Saban playbook. Um, you know, he had one really bad interception. There probably could have been another one and some other questionable decisions. So I, I just think that because of his injury in the spring, um, it, it's going to lag the decision a little bit. And, and Nick can afford to have that decision lagged a little bit. Um, as far as Jalen and his father, I think they've already made that decision. You know, all these people that, you know, started all this, you know, crap during the, the spring and the summer about him leaving, if he was going to leave, he'd have left the damn day after A-Day. Um, you know, he's, he's not going to show up next week, um, you know, at Texas A&M's practice or at Oregon's practice or at Florida's practice, uh, you know, as, as a transfer QB. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's dialed in. He's a part of this team. Um, and he's very well appreciated. Now, we all understand his limitations. Um, but I just think it's going to play out a lot slower 
than a lot of other people think, unless Tua blows the barn doors off, which he's capable of doing. Um, but but I still think that, you know, Jalen Hurts and what some people view as his limitations, Nick Saban views as a strength, and that's not turning the ball over, uh, protecting a, you know, top, you know, three defense, you know, on paper right now. Let's see how that plays out. But it tends to always play out pretty well. Um, whoever the defensive coordinator is, so I, I don't. I don't really perceive the, the quarterback battle, and you know who takes the first snap versus Louisville or the Sisters of the Poor the next week, whatever. I think Texas A&M is kind of the um, jump-off point for who needs to be named the starter. And you know, again, um, as a as a former college football player. Um, if I was Nick Saban, I would keep both QBs in play as long as I possibly could because it keeps defensive coordinators up at night, you know, trying to figure out how to, to uh, defend both of them. Um, now, we'll see how long that plays out during the regular season because, um, you know, Nick Saban is a lot more smarter than your average fan, and I, I know he knows that he's sitting here playing with a lot of shiny toys that could lead to his seventh national championship of his career, um, especially with the schedule that he's got in front of him. But I, I just think it's it's going to be, um, this, you know, whoever takes the first snap versus Louisville, uh, the other guy's going to play a lot, and I think they'll play a lot up until the uh, uh, the Texas A&M game. And that, that's a good problem to have. It's not a negative. Um, because they're so much more talented than they, you know, all those three teams that they play um, prior to the Texas A&M game. I think the the only the, the only other two issues that I think are, are bigger are, um, you know, which is the best guy to uh, play right tackle, mm-hmm. and you know, it is really uh, Markel Benton and uh, Joshua McMillan and Jalen Moody. Which one of those three are going to be the top two backups? to uh Moses and Mac. And I've said this, I, I think the uh Alabama can uh, with their schedule, even if Tua got injured again, uh certainly Jalen Hurts has proven he can win. I don't think they're as dynamic offensively, but certainly they have a formula to win football games. We liked what we saw out of Mac Jones, uh the red shirt freshman uh from Jacksonville, Florida, maturing in the spring. He can be an option at quarterback. I think the biggest key for this team, William is they cannot lose Dylan Moses or Mac Wilson for an extended period of time due to what you just talked about. The, the there's not that this year there was there was not a lack of depth at inside backer last year with talent and experience. There is this year. No, totally agree. Like like the the, the Terrell Lewis injury. You know that there's um, you know you got Jennings coming back and he's a hundred percent. You've got a Noma who's now you know north of, of two fifty. Um, and you've got uh, uh, Chris Allen, who, who, you know, people think that that, that uh, uh, Terrell Lewis was the only guy that led to the really bad spring that Alex Leatherwood had at right tackle. And it was a combo effort between Terrell Lewis and Chris Allen, who is on my list of breakout players for this season. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about this stuff and um, – it makes me laugh a little bit. I, I totally agree. Had it been Matt Wilson or Dylan Moses, you know, I would have to kind of change my whole forecast on this 2018 Alabama football team. But at the same time, um, you know, put this in your pipe and smoke it. Um, Alabama was able to win a national championship last year with a walk-on named Jamie Mosley. Uh, getting a lot of quality reps at Jack Linebacker, especially after uh, um, Jennings got hurt versus Clemson. So um, I think that depth at inside linebacker, um, you know, people want to, you know, make a big deal about, you know, that that all the departures in the defensive backfield. Um, you know, to me, they came out of spring practice with two guys that are really solid, Diggs and Smith. Um, the safety positions are already kind of settled, uh, but they've got a ton of super talented true freshmen um, that can factor in at least one corner spot and certainly at a couple of the safety spots. But 
you know, it's, you know, the quarterback situation will play itself out. I mean, you know, we've watched for the last two years, you know, Alabama was good enough to, uh, you know, get to the national championship game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback despite some of his limitations. But we also saw in the second half of Georgia, uh, the Georgia game, um, with the threat of a uh, an elite passing quarterback, um, and when Kirby Smart was forced to back everybody out of the box, you saw Najee Harris rush for 11 yards per carry. And Georgia's front seven, and this is what I, I've tried to tell all my buddies that are, you know, they always have to find an Alabama boogeyman. You know, it was Hugh Freeze for a while, then it was Urban Meyer, and now it's Kirby. Um, listen, there is such a discrepancy in the talent level on both sides of the line of scrimmage between Alabama and Georgia right now. Um, but don't, don't come at me and tell me that you think Georgia's offensive line is as good as Alabama's because they couldn't block Deron Payne and they couldn't block Raquan Davis one-on-one. And once you saw a quarterback inserted into the game where they had to back out of the box in the second half, you saw Najee Harris run for 11 yards per carry and, and they don't have – they've got really good edge rushers and they brought more in last year in their recruiting class with guys like Adam Anderson and uh, Brenton Cox, and they got another one coming this year, Nolan Smith. But, you know, the, the year in and year out, what wins Alabama football games and championships is, number one, they're the best recruiters of interior defensive linemen in the country and the best developers. You know, it's a next-up man mentality. Um, and, and that still will continue to be the difference. And now they've got the best defensive line coach in college football and Coach Cool um, to continue that trend. And that's why I just don't worry about stuff. I mean, um, Quinn and Williams has been turned into a monster. Uh, you know, Christian Bearmore showed up, in, you know, in the low 290s in excellent shape. Um, that that is what keeps winning Nick Saban championships is the guys that he evaluates, recruits, and signs at the interior D line position. And there's one continuous miss after another uh, from a guy like Kirby Smart at that role. Anybody that thinks that the Walker kid, who's considered the number one defensive lineman in the country, number one defensive tackle. Um, is in the same category as Christian Barmore or Antonio Alfano, doesn't know what they're looking at. And that's going to carry them for another few years as long as they keep up the recruiting and the development. And you've got an offensive line coach over there in Athens, Georgia, that's a size queen. And what I mean by that is he thinks that you're going to win all these battles by you know, being 6'5", 350 pounds. Uh, but you saw that thing fizzle out real quick in the second half when Alabama's front seven was, A, totally healthy, B, totally rested, and they couldn't match up. And that's not going to be something they can flip the switch on uh, because Georgia's offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, continues to sign high school offensive tackles that can't pass pro on the edge, and they have to be moved inside a la Ben Cleveland. Go back and watch the uh, the whole national championship game of Ben Cleveland play, who was a five-star offensive tackle coming out of high school that had to be moved inside the right guard. And watch what Deron Payne and Raekwon Davis did to him. It was a prison-style rape. And that's a, some, uh, you know, a very, very uh, educational, uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, info from William Redfish Barger is uh, he, his expertise is the front seven and, of course, offensive and defensive line play, and he's breaking it down for you here tonight on BAMS Radio. Uh, William, I, did, was it also kind of a, in my opinion, maybe uh, an indictment on Kirby Smart staff that you take a guy like Trenton Thompson, who had a good national championship game, but overall he's the number one you know defensive lineman in the country coming out of high school, uh, and then, of course, uh, he, 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 I believe he was a Mark Rick recruit, but still, he and Kirby, the Kirby Smart staff could not develop him into a, even a guy that got drafted in the NFL draft. 
I, I, I tell you, the best comparison I can come up with, Drew, is we can all kind of agree on this show that, you know, A, you know, you got to understand we're talking about, you know, um, journalists and newspaper guys that are ranking these people, number one, and uh, college coaching staffs don't have them rated the same way. But we can all kind of agree that Deshaun Hand never lived up to being the number one player in the country coming out of high school, um, you know, at the college level. Now, he, he did kind of participate in, just like last year, Raquan Davis was a second-team uh, defensive lineman, even though he was the leading sack guy for Alabama. But, you know, I, I would compare what happened to Trent Thompson at Georgia to the, the pathway of Deshaun Hand. You know, one of them got drafted. One of them's going to probably have a pretty good pro career. And the other one's going to probably be playing arena football when that kicks off. Um, and, and I think for all the people that sit around and stargaze and look at, you know, the class that Kirby signed last year versus the class that Nick signed last year, listen, um, you know, may, maybe that class last year was a disappointment to Alabama fans, but listen to what they accomplished. They signed the number one offensive player on their board in the whole country in Jalen Waddle. They signed the number one defensive player on their board in Anoma. They also signed the best defensive back class um, of the Nick Saban era, and they signed the number one defensive tackle not only on their board, but on a lot of other schools' boards. Some backed off because they didn't think they could get him eligible in Christian Barmore. So it really wasn't that far of a departure from the so-called, you know, quote-unquote number one recruiting classes. We can do another show if you want to where I can show you where, you know, some of the damn number one classes that Nick Saban and Alabama um, have been credited for were way overrated and blown out of proportion. Uh, and I'm talking about the 2010, 2011 Alabama classes. Um, you know, stargazers amuse me. I think it's funny, and that's just only half of the battle. Nick Saban has the number one and the greatest of all time development program, both on and off the field, that college football has ever seen. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes his life easier to sign, which his formula is to sign four slam dunk first round draft picks in every recruiting class. But what they do with these guys, once they, once they get them on campus, you know, where, where Amy Bragg gets a hold of them with the nutrition and Scott Cochran gets a hold of them with the strength and conditioning. And they've got, you know, the best position coaches in college football to teach them technique and develop them and all the stuff that they do, um, you know, academically and, and, and with, you know, life skills and that stuff, you know, Kirby can try and, 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 you know, copy that all he wants to, but that's all he's doing is he's trying to copy it. He doesn't have the magic formula. And uh, great stuff from William Barger there. Uh, and uh, I, I thought, and, and it's going to be interesting too, uh, to, to quickly touch on it uh, is, you know, it, it is, uh, but uh, as far as for Alabama, we, we haven't talked too much, uh, you know, about it's, we, uh, about the offense tonight except for the QBs. We've been uh, in the offensive line. But, William, I think, honestly, when you look at it and with all the guys right now being healthy, certainly you hope that continues to be the case. And you brought up how well he played in the national championship game. I, we've seen Nick Saban have some very talented backfields uh, in his time at the University of Alabama in 2000. Uh, in uh, 10 and then uh, in, in, in 2011, we even saw, you know, the, the depth that was just ridiculous from the standpoint of uh, in 2010, you had a Heisman Trophy winner in Mark Ingram. You had, uh, you know, Trent Richardson, a third string guy like Eddie Lacy, uh, who went on probably along with Mark Ingram to have the two best pro careers of any of the backs at Alabama. But they were all um, just amazing talents. But I don't think we've had. Uh, you know, a foursome at running back as talented as the one that we'll have this fall in Tuscaloosa because I know how high you are on Brian Robinson. Is this the deepest and most talented uh, uh, group of tailbacks that they've had? 
Oh, absolutely, Drew. And I, I'll, I'll expand about you know expand upon it. You know, even more than that. To me, I think this is something that that certainly the the football media, uh, certainly a couple of different fan bases are, are checking out on. If you go back and you watch what happened in the second half versus Georgia, and this is going to cement my point about the talent differential on both sides of the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, but it's also going to paint in the, the skill players. Um, there were – shoot, I had my math right. If, if you factor in – hang on a second. In the second half, let's see, you had – uh, Hour, Leatherwood, the three wide receivers, there's five. You had Najee. You had seven backup players. And you know, let's don't get into a bait about whether they should have been first team or second team. But you had seven second teams. So you had the majority of Alabama's second team offense that, you know, what they throw up, 26 to 10 points in the second half. What do you think would have happened had those same seven backups start that game versus Georgia's, you know, first-team defense, supposedly? And I'll tell you what it would have been. It would have been a 40 to about a 13-type humiliation. Um, And that defense for Alabama, when the offense was throwing up those kind of points, extending drives, uh, and keeping them on the bench and keeping them healthy and rested, uh, it may not have been 13 on Georgia's side. I, I just, you know, I've watched this stuff, and um, it, it's so funny to me. It's, you know, it's one of the most, you know, the, the, the Drew, we, we've talked about this off the air. I don't think we've talked about it on BAMs, but that, that period of time between the fourth quarter with 10 minutes left to go versus Auburn, versus Clemson versus the first half versus Georgia is easily the most frustrated I've been with Nick Saban in which is now his 11 seasons at Alabama. Um, You know, we can all talk about the, you know, the kick six and 13 and, you know, maybe things weren't, weren't managed right. I personally think it was agents and injuries in 2010, but that, you know, he, he almost, uh, you know, misguided himself away from maybe three national championships with the way he managed the uh, the fourth quarter at Auburn. You know, it was obvious um, with, with all the injuries that, you know, Alabama couldn't stop them on defense. They had to outscore them. You know, I thought there was a magic moment there with, you know, 10 minutes and something seconds left in the fourth quarter where it was obvious that Jalen Hurts had taken the, the team as far as he could. And I thought Tua should have been inserted um, the way he was in the second half versus Georgia. You know, I get it. We all talked about this, and we heard that Tua was going to have a role versus Clemson. Um, But as bad as Alabama's front seven manhandled Clemson's offensive line, I get it how the thing played out versus Clemson. Um, And you play your cards close to the vest when you've got the the better defense. But, you know, that – Fourth quarter versus Auburn, the Clemson game, and the first half of, of the Georgia game just will always stick in my craw as not one of Nick's shinier moments as, as a game manager and a head coach. Agreed. I think everyone was very frustrated with the first half and the game against Auburn that Tua should have been brought in to help spark the team and was not. Uh, but uh, certainly it's going to be a deep and talented backfield. Uh, the tight end position is deep, 4D, wide receiver, uh, and that's without even seeing Jalen Waddle practice. Very excited for that. Uh, so this offense uh, could be very, very productive. I feel like it could easily average 40-plus points and may have to because in my mind, William, I, I think they still have excellent talent on defense, but due to the staff having to gel and a lot of inexperience on the back end, you know, you may not see this group lock in to being elite until midseason uh, and, of course, identifying everyone's roles. Uh, but uh, the schedule is pretty advantageous for that, even though if Texas A&M beats you know, Clemson, if they upset him in College Station, uh, that game takes on a, a whole new meaning, uh, no doubt about that. 
but as we are, uh, uh, you know, c- kind of breaking it down here and, and uh, winding down this BAMS radio, uh, as far as defensively uh, with the secondary, there's, I, I know you talked about the, the cornerback positions and Trevon Diggs and Savion Smith. Uh, you know, Patrick Sertain, there's been a lot of buzz about him, about Josh Job, Jalen Armour Davis. Uh, I think this secondary is going to be more talented than last year, but certainly not as experienced, and there's going to be growing pains. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we might see as far as the competition back there? I think that's probably going to be is probably the most heated uh, competition besides probably Jalen and Tua uh, and, the, uh, and the right tackle that we see uh, in fall camp. Well, you know, and I agree with you. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, the quarterback and those great wide receivers at Old Miss test them a little bit early. You know, maybe, you know, Jimbo shows up and, and does it. But, you know, if they can get past those two early tests um, in September, they're not going to get tested again until no, uh, November. And, you know, it's always easy to break in a new secondary um, when you've got freaks like Alabama does up front on the defensive line, you know, I've told people this for close to, I guess, it's closer to 30 years now than 25. Um, you know, for as good as George Teague was, as good as Antonio Langham was, you know, it's real easy to be good on the back end of the defense when you've only got 2.5 seconds to get rid of the ball before you get decapitated. And I think that's exactly what's going to play out um, this year. Um, you know, Raekwon Davis was unblockable one-on-one in spring. Um, you saw the emergence of Quinnen Williams. Um, you saw the emergence of Chris Allen. Um, now they're adding, uh, you know, a guy in a Noma, you know, that's 6'5", you know, 255, I think, at this point, uh, that, that, you know, some college football coaches have compared to Jadavion Clowney. Um, you know, that, that rabbit package could be lethal for Alabama this year. And, uh, you know, I think the offense, you know, if the right personnel decisions are made, um, you know, could put up a ton of points on people. So, you know, I think what they, what you're sitting here looking at, if you're Nick Saban, um, you know, let, let's touch on the quarterback position. You know, you've got basically the first three weeks, I think, to get that right. Um, you've got the, the first three weeks to get the right tackle spot right. Um, we'll find out versus Old Miss and Texas A&M who the right, you know, guys are back there on the back end of the defense at corner. Um, you know, I, I've got no problem saying that I think Patrick Sertain is going to play early and often. I knew, uh, you know, once, once Nick Saban pulled off that two to get him to come to Alabama, um, especially with his father, uh, you know, being a, a former NFL player, that he wasn't going to struggle with the playbook. As good as, you know, as good physically as Josh Job is, you know, I, I've got to kind of factor in his struggles to get eligible academically. You know, I, I kind of wonder, um, can he absorb that damn thick playbook um, in just four weeks of fall camp? We'll see. But, you know, there's no real weak spot or weak position group in, in this 2018 Alabama football team. I think it's going to be Nick Saban's most talented team. Um, I think between him and the uh, retooled Alabama staff, they'll figure out the right guys to play um, at each level of, of the defense and the offense. And, you know, I, I – up until they get into November, let me say this. I think that if you want to beat this Alabama football team, you're going to have to score 40-plus points. And whether, you know, Tosh LePoy, Kevin Steele, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, whoever is, is pulling that trigger, you, you've got the stability factor back there with, with Nick Saban on the back end of the defense. And I just don't see that happening. And William, uh, uh, we we've only touched on it a little bit, but uh, uh, in on past shows. But do you think Skylar DeLong is going to be a good enough punter? And obviously, they with this offense, they don't plan on punting a lot. But of course, J.K. Scott was almost taken for granted for four years of how good he was, and 
Uh, we certainly expect him to have a long pro career with the Green Bay Packers, but do you think DeLong is going to be good enough uh, to be that punter? Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, what I saw of him out of the spring was he doesn't have the booming leg of, of, of J.K. Scott. Um, you know, I think the actual, you know, yards per, you know, punt will go down. But I'll tell you what he is very good at is dropping that nose of the football and pinning people inside the 10-yard line. He, he showed that in the spring. I think also, too, we have to, uh, you know, factor in having a guy. I mean, I understand that his, you know, primary position, you know, is the tight ends coach. But let's be honest. I mean, Jeff Banks was brought in uh, special because teams. of special teams expertise. Um, you know, you, you've got him on board now, and I think he proved when he was at Texas A&M, um, you know, he is kind of a special teams guru, so we'll have to all kind of sit back and wait and see what type of impact he has. But, you know, it's uh, – you know, look, let, let, let's be honest. We're going to take a step back at the punter position. Of course. Skylar Long ain't J.K. Scott. But, you know, the place kicker position, I think – um, could be a little bit more consistent um, mm. than what you saw last year. But, you know, Drew, I, I'm kind of on the same level of, of, of what I heard you talking about. You know, I think the, the offense is going to be so explosive and the defense is going to be so shut down. I, I'm not so sure that the special teams doesn't become a factor until they get into the month of November versus LSU or Auburn or, you know, get into a – Atlanta type situation with Georgia or the playoffs. Yeah, and and also too, uh, we know that uh, that uh, and in Papanasis's uh, defense, he made fourteen out of fifteen under forty yards. He just didn't kick well in the playoffs, and a lot of times it, it was it was almost like uh, you know he, you have and, he, and really he shocked some people, including myself, with how well he kicked during parts of the season. Uh, but it was almost like he was evaluated like Jalen Hurts. Like, they want you to, to play well in every game and on the biggest stages. But Papanasas had his issues. Luckily, uh, Tua Tungvaloa bailed him out uh, and also helped uh, bail out Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, because he was struggling against Georgia. So, uh, But, again, I think you're right, though. I do think uh, that certainly they, they'll probably be more talented at place kicker with uh, uh, Joseph Boulevard uh, and then also – uh, with Austin Jones and his experience, that's going to be a very interesting battle. Uh, but uh, and as we're wrapping it up, though, William, I, a couple more thoughts from you, and then we're going to uh, you say goodnight to our listeners. But as we look at this uh, staff, and I know, first of all, everybody knows how much I loved Burton Burns, but I'm glad he's still there going through practice, really like Joe Pendry. He's going to be another Joe Pendry, going to be still very much involved in this program though he won't be on the field, helping Joe Panunzio with those running backs. But when you look at this offensive staff in its totality, and I do think Brian Dable got, kind of got a bad rap last year as OC, but I, I do think Mike Loxley having experience as a play caller will do well with this talent. And also, uh, I'm really excited about Dan Enos. I think this could be the best offensive staff Coach Saban has put together because I'm hearing really, really good things about Josh Gaddis as a coach in the meeting room and on and on the grease board, not just as a recruiter. I'm really excited about this offensive staff and what they could do, William. Oh, no, and I, I think that's, you know, why Alabama fans should have um, as much optimism as they do. Um, you know, go back to, like I said, I've, I've said over and over again on this, you know, podcast for the last hour and 15 minutes, go back and watch the second half of that national championship game where, you know, Tua was inserted, um, where, where the three freshman wide receivers were, you know, you know, kind of forced to come in and play. You know, it was by design because that's, you know, what Tua had the most uh, comfort level with. And then Najee Harris, um, you had Alex Leatherwood, a backup left tackle, J.C. Hassenauer. Um, you, you saw that Georgia gave them the best that they had, and they were still double digits to the wrong side, not ready to match up with Alabama. You know, once Kirby was uh, forced to take everybody out of the box and play straight up, 
his front seven, which isn't going to be any bit. I'm talking about his front seven with a top ten draft pick in Roquan Smith. They ain't going to improve there this year. That They were not able to match up and win individual matchups. Najee Harris ran for uh, 11 yards per carry. You know, Tua basically threw for 200 yards. Um, I think when that whole milkshake gets settled out, and, you know, it's it becomes, you know, the starting offense, whether it's versus Louisville or Texas A&M or well into, uh, you know, November versus LSU. It is going to be the most dynamic offense that Alabama football fans have seen since Homer Smith was pulling the triggers in 1989. And you were a part of that football team then, and, that was a really fun offense to watch, and boy, that would be some uh, just uh, some uh, you know just uh, you must see television, and of course, if you're in the stands watching it, boy, that would be fun to be as productive as that group was, and uh, you just remember how tough that it was to stop that unit. Uh, such a, a great uh, offensive uh, football team, and uh, Gary, uh, uh, as we know, uh, uh, you know uh, the uh, they just. Gary Hogsworth comes out of nowhere to be SEC Player of the Year. The year Kevin Turner had, Saran Stacy, uh, the wide receivers, just a really fun uh, offense to watch. Except this group would be even more dynamic at the wide receiver position, uh, William. But yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, and then finally, last thought from you: uh, We waited till the end of the show, but it looks like we may see the end of the road for Urban Meyer at Ohio State. It's been well documented, Courtney Smith. The uh, wife of, uh, ex-wife, I should say, of former wide receivers coach Zach Smith, who was dismissed, uh, uh, you know, on uh, uh, July 23rd, had a history of domestic violence. We know how that's changed in this climate. Looks like Urban Meyer, though they haven't directly connected him to it. His wife certainly knew about it. I find it hard to believe that he didn't. And uh, of course, he's been placed on administrative leave. It looks like they could be trying to fire him with cause. William, he has a cause in his contract or a new clause in his contract, the new extension he signed, uh, that he could be dismissed with cause for uh, some kind of domestic situation like that. Uh, but we saw him lose control of his program at Florida, uh, and when it you know walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And I'm, certainly uh, Urban will probably be heard from again uh, because, again, he wasn't directly involved in it, but he certainly lied about it. Uh, but Urban Meyer... It could be. It looks like he's in deep, deep trouble, and we even saw some disturbing testimony from some of his former players at Florida today as well. Uh, it's uh, just uh, another just uh, mess that Urban Meyer's gotten himself involved in. Yeah, and I think you know, um, you know, the pulse of college football and the pulse of you know political correctness. I think is going to catch up with Urban. I mean, you know, in hindsight, I think the way all that stuff went down in Florida when he was there, um, you know, we could spend an hour talking about that. Um, But but if you, you know, really dig into, you know, what some of the allegations are um, for what he's kind of turned a blind eye to, um, you know, at Ohio State, um, again, I, I would challenge anybody that's listening to this podcast to answer this question because I've tried to do it. I can't remember anybody that has been, you know, put on paid administrative leave that has come back and gotten their job back. You know, it, it's almost like the kiss of death. But, you know, with, you know, urban, you know, uh, living with his wife, you know, the wife having the text messages. I mean, you know, come on. You know he knew about it. Um, and, you know, I think it's, you know, kind of a sad state of affairs. I mean, you've got, you know, Jay Paterno over at Penn State kind of chiming in on this thing and trying to tell the Ohio State fan base, you know, hey, you know, don't give in to the mob mentality. And I don't really know why. Um, Penn State gives Jay Paterno a uh, uh, a microphone to say anything based on what his father oversaw with, with Jerry Sandusky. And, you know, you look at, you know, Urban's current coaching staff. 
you know, let's take Zach Smith out of the equation. You know, Greg Schiano um, didn't get the Tennessee head coaching job because of uh, what he turned a blind eye to at Penn State. Uh, you know, Kevin Wilson, their current offensive coordinator, was fired from being the head coach at Indiana for abusing his players. At least those were the accusations. I'm not saying it was true abuse. Um, you know, you know, Drew, my, my my big thing on this whole deal is I would caution anybody that, you know, puts a, a Sharpie marker and a picture in their kids' hands and says, hey, go get that guy's autograph. Um, college football is a dirty business. It always has been. And be real careful who you set up to be your children's heroes. Excellent testimony from William Barger, who went through it uh, at the University of Alabama. Uh, and as he said, uh, Urban Meyer likely has seen his last days at the helm of Ohio State. Uh, and as I'm wrapping it up, I'll just say I'm not surprised that uh, Meyer lost control again. I think he's made it through six seasons uh, in, uh, in, in uh, the land of the Buckeyes in Columbus. Uh, he, he lasted, I think, I want to say five in, in in Gainesville, he left a dumpster fire in Gainesville. Probably going to leave a a sordid mess at Ohio State. Certainly, a lot of talent there, though. They will, they should be able to. If they, I don't think they'll be facing sanctions. So, get an outstanding head coach and continue to be one of the best programs in college football. But Urban Meyer, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure some desperate athletic director will give him another shot. He'll probably end up with the tree huggers out in the Pac-12 or something and continue to win games, but. Uh, you better, as William said, uh, when, if you follow his program, if you're a fan of wherever he is, just expect it. Uh, there's going to be a mess at some time or another. Uh, Urban, I just, I've, I've always felt like uh, that he, he only cared about winning. And, of course, they all do. But he doesn't uh, value character at all because you see so many guys that he had at Florida, so many uh, at Ohio State now that, uh, that I think uh, that we've seen uh, go on to the NFL and have you know have shady behavior. I don't think it's as bad as when he was at Florida. I will say that, uh, but still, I don't think uh, he's a good guy. I never thought so. Uh, outstanding football coach, though. He's won three national championships. One of the very few, and that's why he'll get another shot. That's been able to have success against Nick Saban, though. I, it's not. It's kind of misleading. I mean, they beat Alabama by a touchdown in a game where you know if Wayne Kiffin keeps running Derrick Henry, they probably don't win that game. But again. He was run out of the SEC by Nick Saban, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, uh, has, has had his issues at Ohio State, being a team that really the last couple of years has been good enough to maybe win another title, but didn't get it done. And now you kind of see why, because there's just some things going on in that program that shouldn't have been. And you'll see Ohio State probably have to hit the reset button, Urban go back, uh, you know, to taking another year off, and then seeing what opportunities are given to him. Uh, going forward, but certainly uh, the, the Ohio State University has a lot of issues right now. Uh, they, uh, I know they were very proud of the fact that they beat Alabama finally for the first time in their history uh, in 2014 and went on to win a national championship, uh, but that is now uh, long since gone, and now Urban Meyer very likely done. Uh, he is, his wife is an employee of the university. If she didn't uh, tell people about the abuse, that's breaking the law. It's a Title IX violation. So uh, I don't see how he and his family survived this, and they will have to uh, resurface at another institution in the next few seasons, and we'll see where the next chapter uh, brings Urban Meyer. And how Ryan Day can do, can he catch lightning in a bottle? Can they become a contender uh, and get back to the college football playoff? Could he be like Ed Ogeron? And get one of the you know unbelievable jobs, uh, plum jobs in college football, or will uh, Ohio State go out and try to talk Bob Stoops, the Youngstown, Ohio native, out of retirement, or get another elite football coach there? But I think it was interesting because they've got Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson on their staff, two former head coaches, and in the Big Ten, and they did not, uh, you know, they, they they tabbed Ryan Day, who's only in his second year as co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach as the head coach. So that shows how much they think of Ryan Day. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how Ohio State responds. And Urban Meyer will once again 
Uh, I guess have to work on that uh, heart uh, that heart problem or that nerve medication that he had to uh, when he left Florida uh, and took that year off. I guess he's going to have to do so again, going to re- have to revisit that as he will more than likely be in his final days uh, at Ohio State. But we want to thank everyone for listening. It was an extended uh, you know, uh, edition of BAMS Radio tonight as we took a look at fall camp. And we'll, we'll be back with you on a weekly basis now. A lot to talk about next week after uh, Fan Day and Media Day. I will be there uh, for ESPN 97.7 The Zone and BAMS Radio covering Alabama this weekend. Looking forward to hearing from the coordinators, Mike Loxley, Tosh Lupoy, Nick Saban, and some of the players and uh, watching practice, and we'll have our observations. William will certainly have his ears to the ground, and we'll hear from Thomas Watts as well. Everybody have a great rest of your evening, and we'll come to you next week. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel for BAMS Radio. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll wish our listeners a great rest of your weekend. And Roll Tide football is back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.